0: Chapter 8, The Shoe That Fits I love feet, they talk to me. As I take them in my hands, I feel their strength, their weakness, their vitality, or their failings. A good foot, its muscles firm, its arch strong, is a delight to touch, a masterpiece of divine workmanship. A bad foot, crooked toes, ugly joints, Loose ligaments moving under the skin is an agony. As I take these feet in my hands, I am consumed with anger and compassion. Anger that I cannot shoe all the feet in the world. Compassion for all those who walk in torment. It need not be so. That was the lesson I learned in Santa Barbara, and that is the lesson I have repeated in print a score of times in periodicals, technical and popular, all over the world. No one listens, particularly no other shoemaker. Shoemakers throughout the world use everything I offer except one. They use my patterns, my designs, my styles, my ideas. Well, I don't mind. There are plenty more where they come from and in a way it's the supreme compliment. Besides, The man who is busy copying the work of others has no time to be original for himself. So they steal everything ephemeral, everything that tomorrow or next season or next year will be dead and gone, passed into the sphere of the old-fashioned until it is resurrected and modified in the course of the evolutionary cycle of fashion. Yet they refuse to look at the one unchanging feature of my shoes, the reason why my shoes fit and others do not. They not only refuse to look, they deny its value. Even today, there are last makers who come to me and say, But you can't make shoes that fit from a last like this. There is no support for the ball of the foot and the heel. There was a time when I argued with them. Now I simply say, no. Now, will you please make the last? But for you, Signora or Signor, who may still walk badly on feet that hurt, I will explain the secret. Later on, I will show you how to buy shoes that fit, even if you never buy a Ferragamo shoes. In the meantime, here is the explanation. When I began studying human anatomy, I found my first clue to the problem in the distribution of the weight of the body over the joints of the foot. I discovered the interesting fact that the weight of our bodies, when we're standing erect, drops straight down on the arch of the foot. A small area of between one and a half and two inches on each foot carries all our weight. As we walk, the weight of our bodies is swung from one foot to another. Now, when you're measured for a pair of handmade shoes and machine-made shoes, are made on lasts incorporating this principle. At first, though, this practice seems eminently sensible. There can be no reason to support the arch of the foot because nature herself has left a space you can see this easily for yourself anytime you examine the imprint of a bare foot in hard sand. You see the marks of the toes, the ball of the foot, and the heel. Connecting heel and ball, there is showing, or should be, if the foot is normal, only a thin sliver of the foot, the outside edge of the sole. The rest of the sole never touches the ground. So far, so good. But then I thought, it is true that nature designs the arch to carry the weight of the body and leaves it unsupported when the foot is bare. Yet the fact remains that many feet are injured by shoes. Does the answer lie then in the fact that when the foot is inside the shoe, it is no longer allowed to perform its natural functions? It is imprisoned like a bird in a cage, unable to work properly. If that is so, does this imprisonment affect the arch? Again, if this is so, does this mean that the arch not only should but must be supported? I will not worry you with the endless experiments I carried out to prove or disprove this theory. This is not a technical book. I need only say that in consequence of those experiments, I constructed my revolutionary lasts which, by supporting the arch, make the foot act like an inverted pendulum. The metatarsal joints and heels are freed of all body weight, and the shoes thus guide the equilibrium of the body as it walks instead of fighting against it. Because space is provided under the metatarsal joints to house the ball of the foot, when it bends, and so allow the joints to drop back as it steps. All frictions between foot and shoes is eliminated. Now, Signora or Signor, let me demonstrate what I mean on your own feet. I regret that I do not know you in person. Are you man or woman, tall or short, slim or plump, middle-aged, youthful or old, beautiful or plain? Yet, I can tell you, if you have bad feet, exactly how bad they are. And if you have good feet, how you should preserve them. Just help me a little. Rather, let me say, help yourself a little. If you are reading this book in the privacy of your own home, you can test my diagnosis immediately. If you're reading it in a public place, test it immediately. You are alone or in the bosom of your family. One other thing. If you're a man, please excuse me addressing you as signora. I do so only because the ladies suffer more with their feet than we men. The ladies insist on wearing higher heels than we do nowadays. Though we must not brag, there was a century when men wore high-heeled shoes and minced and pranced about the salons of the wealthy and therefore Because of the sharper angles at which they pitch their feet, they destroy their feet more quickly and more certainly than we do. So it is to the ladies I speak most particularly. Signora, if you will please place your hand flat, palm downward, on the opposite page of this book, I will first demonstrate the structure of your foot. Is your hand flat? Then, draw the finger backward a little, keeping the tips and the heel of your hand on the paper and the fingers rigid. You see, you have now built an arch. Or, to put it another way, you have created a shallow triangle on which the book is the base and the knuckles of your hand are the apex. There is now, of course, a space under your palm. You're touching the page only with the fingertips and the heels of your hand. That, Signora, is roughly how the arch of your foot is built. But there is an important difference. There is no weight on your knuckles as you make that bridge, while on the arch of your feet as you stand, you carry every ounce of your body weight. Now, please, if you will put down the book and remove your shoes, Stand upright and look at your feet in the mirror, or you can bend down and touch them. Run your fingers along the edge of your feet on the inside and you find there is space extending from behind the joint of the big toe to the heel. There is a cavity, just as there was a cavity under your hand when you made the bridge. That is the arch of your foot yet perhaps there is no space. Then, Signora, I am afraid you have a fallen arch and your feet are bad, but do not put the book down in despair. Read on and I will show you how it happened and why it happened and how you may still walk in comfort. Nature, the supreme architect from whom man has borrowed and adapted so many of his ideas, has created the human foot in that shape and not allowed it to develop without an arch because, as any architect will tell you, or as you can demonstrate for yourself in a myriad simple ways, an arch can carry more weight than a flat surface. This arch, however, has to do more than carry a stationary weight, like the arch of a church door. It has to carry our moving weight as we walk. Therefore, nature has provided the foot with joints and swivels to allow us to walk in comfort. The technical names of the chief of these bones and their joints are the tarsal arch, the metatarsal, the five long bones which act as the connecting links between your arch and your toes, and the phalanges, the bone of the toes themselves. This simple mechanism moves and stretches as you walk barefoot. The joints and the toes perform their duties freely falling back into their natural position at the end of each step ready for the next. You feel comfortable and free as indeed you should. These movements are no more unnatural than the swinging of your arms from the shoulder. How often have you complained about tiredness in the arm after a long walk? Never but you have probably grumbled a great deal about the tiredness of your feet so much for the foot and its functions if you now look down at your feet you should be able to detect any malformation if your feet are good they have created a shallow triangle of which the book is the base and there you have a good space under your feet your toes do not extend straight before you is one or both of the big toes trying to twist round toward the second toe of that foot. If it is, no matter how slight the distortion, your arch is beginning to give away. And this is why. When you put your feet into an ill-fitting pair of shoes, you imprison them in unnatural surroundings. The shoes you're wearing fight against the natural movements of the feet because Neither your heels nor your toes have the proper freedom to move. The heel pounds against the back of your shoe while your toes hit the front end of the shoe. With every step, a shock travels through the toes, strikes the metatarsal joints, and runs up the metatarsal bones to the tarsal arch, which takes the full brunt of the shock. It must because there is no longer anything else in the foot to absorb it. You know how if you hit a cushion, your hand goes into it to a certain extent and then will go no further. If the cushion is thin, you may bark your knuckles when you come to the end surface on which is lying. So with the shock from the toes, it can go no further than the arch which has to take the strain. Eventually, of course, the arch refuses to take the punishment any longer and it begins to collapse at one of three places. If you have a normal or low arch, the fall first manifests itself in the metatarsal joint at the base of the big toe. As the arch falls, the triangle of bone extends along its base, thus pushing the toe forward. The toe refuses to go because the end of the shoe is there to prevent it. Therefore, the toe, seeking room to move and anxious to avoid the continual pounding, starts to twist towards its companion's toes. The joint at the base of the big toe is pushed out of its normal position and begins to protrude. Just run your finger, signora, over that joint on each big toe. If there is a sign of either toe of this twisting to right or left, then you will find that the joint on the big toe of that foot is starting to project from its natural position. That, then, is the basic cause and effect of all internal, as distinct from superficial, deformities of the normal and low-arched foot. As it begins, so it goes on. The longer you pound your toes and heels in ill-fitting shoes, the more the arch collapses and the more pronounced becomes the big toe joint until you say, I have a terrible bunion and run to buy a bunion pad to conceal the disfigurement from the eyes of the outsider. Yet your big toe continually pushes more and more towards the outside of the foot and at last you're forced to insert a pad between the first and second toes to try and straighten them. Sometimes, if the second toe is weak, the big toe, as it twists further and further inward, pushes under the second toe. Occasionally, but extremely rarely, it forces the second toe backward until it is permanently bent, like a crooked finger. If the squeezing of the toes within the shoe is severe, the second or sometimes the third toe may be driven underneath the foot to give you what is called a hammer toe. This too is rare, though not as rare as it should be, and is usually found on a high arched foot, especially if the owner is a two-dancer. So much for the development of deformity in the normal or low arched foot. You may, however, have an exceptionally high arch, a few people do, about four or five in every hundred. These are dancers' feet. I will tell you more about them later. And the arch is extremely strong and also more sharply defined. The pyramid is higher. The first manifestation of a falling high arch appears under the foot because the metatarsal joint, as the base of the big toe, instead of being pushed forward, is by the nature of the shape of the arch pushed downward to form what is called invisible exposure. Eventually, it reaches the stage where you cannot put your foot to the ground without exquisite agony. The collapse of the high arch can also be seen in the heel. If you rub your finger along the back of the heel, you may detect a slight protuberance. The joint which connects the heel bone to the tarsal arch is being pushed out of shape as the edifice begins to give away. Let me run over these points briefly again. In the good foot, the toes stretch straight forward and there is a pronounced definite cavity under the inside of each foot. As the arch of the normal or low-arched foot collapses, the big toe is pushed round toward its fellows progressively and continuously, causing the joint at the base of the big toe to protrude. Finally, the cavity under the arch disappears. On a high-arched foot, the big toe joint protrudes under the foot and the heel bone is pushed outward at the heel. That then was the extent of my discovery and my knowledge during those years of the first world war. It took another 20 years and more of work and vicissitudes to reveal the full meaning of the discovery to the feet of people all over the world. To that fuller meaning, I will return in its proper place. In the meantime, I must pick up the threads of my life story.